Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hello and welcome to Excellence Expected. Once again, thank you so much for joining me. My name is Mark Asquith. I seem to say this every single week, but this week, guys, once again, I have a massive, massive treat for you. Now, if you are an entrepreneur or a business owner, I have absolutely no doubt that just like me and just like everyone else out there, you have a real strong focus on personal development. And there's a bit of a trend over the last 10, 15, 20 years around productivity and efficiency and increasing your effectiveness. And as I was doing my own research into that, I came across some books. I came across actually three books, uh, three books, one called One, What's Stopping You? Number two, What's Stopping You Being More Confident? And my personal favorite to date, Get Things Done. And with me this week, I'm honored to welcome to the show, the author, the best-selling author of these books, Mr. Robert Kelsey. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome to you as well. Good afternoon. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you, Robert. I mean, when I was looking into my own personal development, as I say, it's, it's something that there are so many things out there. And, you know, when you start to really dig into, you know, what is personal development? What is efficiency? What is effectiveness? How can I make myself better as a business person? There's that much out there that sometimes you just, you're just yearning for no-nonsense and yearning for someone to just tell you how it is. And that's what really struck me about your books, especially Get Things Done, which was actually the first one that I read. Mm-hmm. The fact that everything inside that book is based on psychological research and your own personal journey. I, I think that's fantastic. So that on that note, I just want to say thank you so much for putting that book together because it's really, really helped me. Oh, well, thank you. I, feedback is my currency, as I say, and certainly good feedback is, uh, is good currency. So thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. It really is. So... Robert, I've uh, I've introduced you to the listeners out there, and what we're going to talk about today is something that I know a lot of people really, really struggle with, and that is decision-making paralysis. You know what it's like at times, you are umming and ahhing, you're second-guessing, and sometimes not really working on that gut instinct married with pragmatism, and it's a massive, massive topic. So before we dive into that, which I'm sure is going to be a fantastic episode, I'd just like to actually tell the listeners a little bit more about you, Robert. So what's your background? Where did, where did you come from? Um, I was brought up in, uh, in Essex for my sins, um, but I've lived most of my life in either um, London, Manchester or New York. I'd sort of developed a, a love for big cities and um, from having been brought up uh, sort of just beyond one, if you like. Um, I was um, a journalist. I've had loads of careers. I've, I've chopped and changed. I think like most entrepreneurs, I think it took a while for me to find what I did and loved. And um, it, it just, it really did take time to realize that, um, that that other people were not going to provide what I wanted from life. I was only going to ever manage to provide it myself. So my first career was actually as a building surveyor, which was largely to, to um, please my father. That kind of didn't work out. I sort of ended up even a year at, uh, at what was known as Poly in those days, and uh, um, that didn't work out. And my second career was in um, the media as a um, uh, selling uh, adverts in the, uh, for the independent newspaper, very interested in the editorial side, managed to jump over to the editorial side just as our section was getting shut down, ended up a financial journalist um, uh, in the, working in the city, 
Um, loved it. Um, had a, uh, such a good time with it. Really enjoyed it. Felt I'd found my thing. Uh, but but um, enjoyed it so much I became a banker, in fact. Um, it's what the city calls a... Um, a gamekeeper turned poacher move but I was no banker I lived in um, uh, London and New York as a banker um, I wasn't really a banker I wasn't really up to it I enjoyed the theories and the finance and all that side but I, I didn't enjoy the some of the um, the darker sides of, um, uh, of the personalities involved um, and so um, to com- combine the two to become a, uh, um, a PR. I've now I set up my own public relations company in 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 a particular area of finance, and it's gone very well ever since. Now, having done that, I did about four years ago. um, I started writing um, self help books simply because I um, always was always addicted to self help books. From at least from about two thousand onwards, was very addicted to self help books, and always felt there was a gap in the market for for self-help books that dealt with people that needed self-help. They all seemed to, um, I, the way I explained it in the end was that they always seemed to start at zero, these self-help books, and then try and take you to 100. And I kept saying, but I don't start at zero. Here I am, sort of in my 30s, and I'm starting at minus 100 because I've got all this m- mental baggage I carry around with me. And you need to be able to deal with that. And that was what brought on the need for me to to go back to my journalistic skills a bit to do a bit of research and then um and then obviously get put pen to paper so that was that was how that came about so now i kind of juggle uh running a pr firm very busy pr firm and also um doing doing the writing so uh, just about managing that's really insightful actually and i i, I really I'm really curious about how you've put the books together because it really is built an experience. And one of the things that really, really struck me um, when I was reading Get Things Done, I remember it vividly. I was walking through St. Pancras. It was only it was only a few weeks ago, actually, and I've sort of, I'm a devourer of content. The minute I get something mm. I like, that's it. I'm an all-consuming advocate of that content. And uh, I went through the process of picking up um, Get Things Done and just sat there on the train probably for two and a half hours just nodding in entire agreement with everything that was in it and thinking oh, very good. It, it, it was just astounding because a lot of the things that you said around your own psychological barriers your own mm. um you know your own frailties as a as an individual resonated so much with me and and i just think that there must be that many people out there for whom that has had yeah. the same effect um well i I, I mean, I felt that, um, I mean, there is a, there's a very famous book uh, with not a dissimilar title called Getting Things Done by David Allen. Now, I don't want to knock it because it's a great book and it's very famous. But but what that does, if you get into that book, what it does is it tells you all about sort of time management and process efficiency and all that sort of stuff. And there's all lots of matrices in there in terms of making yourself more efficient. But he loves that stuff. So, you know, so so it's kind of not fair for, um, for, for somebody like me who was inefficient, who was uh, who did procrastinate, who was a bit of a self-sabotager, who was very disorganized, who didn't even really know what they wanted in life. It was it was unfair of him to try and force his wonderful systems, which he loves, onto me. And I felt that no, that was the bit where I said, you know, you don't start at zero here. You start at minus 100. And you've got to recognize that. And so all the books I've written recognize the fact that what the person that's picking up that book has a need that goes way beyond just sort of getting 
enabling themselves to be more efficient. They've got to get. They've got to understand why they got to where they were, why they're inefficient, why they self sabotage, why they procrastinate, and that's quite deep. You know, that's quite deep, and it's quite psychological. And you've got to go back to your childhood, and there's all that sort of stuff in there. And it's but that's what is required. Otherwise, you'll fail. You know, David Allen's methodology, etc., etc. There's, there's loads and loads of these books, but you'll try them, you'll fail, and you'll just have one more defeat. And uh, and I felt that so hence I, when I've read them, I felt they're they're unfair on people like me because all they did was actually support my low self esteem. They didn't try and they didn't tell me why I had low self esteem, why I'd got into the position I was got I'd got into, and then enable me to sort of you know sort of move myself around so that I could face the right way. They assumed I was facing the right way in the first place, but I wasn't. One of the things that came out, I mean, just for the listeners out there, we, we had a, a pre-interview chat on, on, on the telephone a few weeks ago just to kind of set this interview up. And one of the things, Robert, that, that you said um, was around that and, you know, how it's starting from, from minus 100. And, and it's one of the things that, you know, when I look back in hindsight, all the self-help books and all of these inspirational books that I've read, when I think about the action that I've taken on the back of them, it's not actually that great in comparison to what I've consumed. And I didn't have a way to articulate it. And the way that you have phrased that and put that together, it just, for me, sums it up perfectly. Yeah. Because you, 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 you're absolutely right. In no other walk of life would you, would you start from a false start. You would always start from where you naturally are as a person. Yeah. And I think that's so, so valuable. And for me, that's the big difference between your books and everything else out there. I think it's unfair of them, and I, you know, I, I think that it's a wonderful genre, and there's plenty of there's plenty out there that um, is very good for you. But I think that you know, if my books get you to zero, then I've done my job. Do you see what I mean? It's not you know, they're the, they're the ones starting at zero and trying to take you to hundred. Fine, but they're kind of then they're round two, if you like. And I try and you know, I steal a lot from them and try, you know, always credit them and try and and try and use a lot of what they say. But the but the the first bit is very much the psychological bit. If you notice my books, they'll they'll come in two halves. One is the psycho, you know, the psychologist. You're on the couch trying to work out what's gone wrong, and then the second bit is where you're. Yes, you're now in the hands of the self help guys. But you understand what they're trying to tell you more. You know, you understand you can you can fit it in more because it it makes sense psychologically. And so that's I mean that you know that 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 tent, that's how I've always done it. So my view is if I if I can get someone to zero, then I'm then I I think I've done my job. You know, I mean I get these emails. You know, um, you know I don't get them every day. It's not you know I'm not I'm, I'm, uh, claiming I'm some sort of uh, I've got some sort of hero worship going on. But I get these occasional emails where people say, you know what, you've saved my life. You know this. You know I finally understand what's been going wrong all this time. And and uh, and so if I can do that, where you know it's not in, it's not that much of a concern for me. If they if what they then do with that information, it just puts them in a better place. Mentally, they realise what's happened. So, you know, so that's you know, I think that's that's what I aim to achieve with those books. It's just you know, from someone as a sufferer, it's the point of view of a sufferer, um, not of an efficient person, not of some guru, but of a sufferer. That's how I related to it so much as well. And just to pick up on a point that you mentioned early on in that uh, in that section, there is. One of the other things that I found really useful, and, and, and it is a, it's a byproduct of the pulling all the different pieces together from different books, I found it really interesting because, as I say, you, you consume that much content. We live in an age where content is readily available, mm. and sometimes it's difficult to curate that for yourself. But also, 
as I mentioned, it's difficult, certainly for me, because of time constraints and so on, and you know all the usual excuses that people make, to actually action anything off the back of anything that I read. But what what your books do and what they certainly get things done, the first one that I read, did for me very, very quickly was take everything and all the, the salient pieces from various other books and pull them into some kind of cohesion so that I actually knew what to do with it. And that, for me, even though it's it's a byproduct, that was so important because it pulled everything together and actually gave me something tangible to work with moving forward. Mm. Well, and what I try and do is um, is take out is, it, once you've got your face in the right way, once you're at zero and you're facing the right way, every step you take forward, you have to recognize the fact that actually you're still the person you were. You're still mentally that ineffective person or, or, or defective person, if you like. You have to accept that you are a defective person. And every step you take forward has to recognize that. And otherwise, it'll end up just being a, a step back. So so each, each what I've done is taken all the self-help gurus and in each case try to line it up so that you know what what would someone with low self-esteem think now what would someone you know um with which had these insecurities that have made them procrastinate and being effective what would they do now how would they approach that how would when it came to decision making even how would they approach that you know what would it's no good giving them some matrix for for decision making when in fact that that, you know they're 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 overly concerned by their emotions etc so you know you need to recognize that and so that's what i've tried to do in each case just every step they take is recognize who they are and the fact that they're you know in some ways you know they're incurable that they, they will that they are insecure people they they have self-esteem issues and they'll die with those issues but you may as well die in a better place you may as well become an effective person with self-esteem issues rather than an ineffective person with self-esteem issues i think that's summed up perfectly and, and as i say it, this this whole ethos of understanding i think is brilliant because it's it's not preaching it's not this is what works for me it's actually well look i understand all of these different elements and mm. one of the things that i really liked again about um get things done is that you list some of the um the disorders that are out there that mm. have been labeled up adhd simple schizophrenia and, mm. <laughs> i mean i was sat long on the train <laughs> it's, it's a very long <laughs> list you actually address it in your book because by the end of that train journey robert i'm pretty sure I had each one of them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> everyone goes around going, oh, well, I've got that, I've got that, I've got that. Yeah, absolutely. That's what people do. And they find it comforting. If somebody said to them, oh, you, by the way, you've got ADHD, they'd be going, oh, thank God, that makes sense. That makes so much sense. Of course, that's why I'm ineffective. And it's like a comfort blanket. And I'm, and I'm saying, no, 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 you know, don't get rid of the comfort blanket. You know, in that respect, you're almost better off saying what you don't have, why you don't have Asperger's, what, how you differ from someone with Asperger's, how you differ from someone with ADHD and focusing on that you know because otherwise it will you know if you if, if you if you've got adhd or you, you've been um diagnosed with adhd and every time anything goes wrong get up well it's because i've got adhd then you know you you're it will inevitably go wrong you know you'll look for that you'll search for it well that's the thing it, it, it becomes your defining factor and you map everything in your life back to that as opposed to just, Absolutely. It, it just becoming part of you yeah, yeah. i think that's fantastic i really 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 appreciate that kind of outlook I think that's and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying ADHD doesn't exist I'm, I'm not saying that at all I'm just saying being diagnosed with it doesn't necessarily help you and um, you know it does if you want to move forward with your life that diagnosis is not going to necessarily work in your favor 
Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think it's something that a lot of people will relate to. And guys, honestly, I know I keep going on about it, but honestly, if you don't pick up anything else for the rest of the year, pick up, get things done because it will, yes. if you, if, if you, <laughs> no, you, you're welcome. Honestly, it's, uh, if, if you are of an entrepreneurial bent, it will help you 100%. Great. And I do like that about entrepreneurs as well. There is such a connection. And I come onto this in the in the next book that's coming out about outsiders. And um, there's such a strong connection between people that do have some of these issues that have secure insecurities that are incapable of sort of, 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 of making progress in a team or et cetera, et cetera. So many of them uh, not only become entrepreneurs, but should become entrepreneurs. That is the route out in, in, in virtually all of the books. That's what I say. Entrepreneurialism is the route out for you. It, it, it solves so many problems because it because what it does is it throws you into a situation where you have to solve the problems. You know, you can't go around blaming other people. You've got to get a solution going. And, and so it's, it's, it's wonderfully curative um, entrepreneurialism. I would, again, entirely agree with that. It's something that, again, just to map it back to my own life, and for the listeners, I do apologize, keep mapping everything back to my own situation. But honestly when you come across Robert's work, it really does. It, it has that kind of personal effect. And I, I'm entirely sure that's why I ended up as an entrepreneur and business owner, because I, I was always, I felt like I was always bored, but I didn't, I, just like you, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Yeah. I couldn't find any satisfaction. And that, that idea that you can do and make and achieve whatever you want, mm. it's so powerful for someone that's got that kind of ilk. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's, you know, we're, in some ways we're unemployable. You know, um, we, you know, we're, um, we are the difficult ones. There's no doubt about it. Um, so, uh, but that, that, that's, that's, um, that's what I'm saying. It's not, it's not necessarily, you know, learn up and become um, an effective person within a team. It is about, you know, finding your own thing. So it motivates you. Um, but, um, you know, and therefore once you've got that, once you've got your own thing, you know, it, it motivates you, it actually makes you better in a team because immediately it's your team and you're going, actually, how can I get the best out of this team? Because I need to do it rather than your going oh that's their team and uh, you know oh, well, he would say that wouldn't he uh, you know rather than have that attitude you've completely changed your attitude that's why i say it's curative um because you know you've you've suddenly taken control of your life it's the one biggest thing you can do is it, to take control of your life and i also you know another thing i would say is that you know everyone says entrepreneur and that of course you know the tv um you know the bbc etc immediately think of people like richard branson etc he's not an entrepreneur he's a, he's he's a he's a mogul of a major corporation you know, what I mean is, you know, the guy that's making your sandwich, you know, the, the, he's the entrepreneur in my view, the guy that comes around and, um, the, you know, cleans the window, the guy, you know, that, those are the entrepreneurs. Uh, those are the people that, um, um, uh, you know, should be equally lauded as, um, um, you know, as the Richard Branson's of this world. I think the word entrepreneurs, it's taken on interesting meaning recently. It's one of those words that has become a little bit of a buzzword and people label yes. themselves you know as entrepreneurs and i remember i saw a talk by uh, the fantastic carl hopkins um up in a university somewhere mm -hmm. a few years ago and he said you know look for all intents and purposes i am an entrepreneur but i would never ever call myself one it's the other people outside yeah. that call me one and i think that that is regardless whether it's right or wrong that has been forgotten and everyone well, to a degree, a lot of people label themselves as entrepreneurs and yeah. sometimes rightly so, sometimes wrongly so. And I think just as you say there, digging back to actually what entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism yeah. really, really is, yeah. there are thousands and millions of people out there doing things that they wouldn't necessarily think of as entrepreneurial. Yeah, no, I agree. Absolutely Super. agree. So 
Robert, what's next for you? You mentioned you've got a new book coming out then. So tell the listeners a little bit about that. Yes. Well, I, um, uh, then, yes, I'm, I'm trying to, I, obviously I've done the self-help uh, genre and this is a self-help book. Um, but again, it, it's the same uh, way of looking, uh, of, of doing things in that you focus on, um, uh, on what's wrong, um, as much as you focus on, um, um, on, on what you should do about it. And, uh, this one is called, um, Outside Edge it comes out in March and, um, it will, it looks at outsiders. It basically, it, it, it's, it's taking on, um, Malcolm Gladwell. He wrote the book about, um, David and Goliath and he was on about how misfits and outsiders have enormous advantages. Um, as they, uh, when uh, in terms of the way um, uh, uh, they behave in life, it gives them enormous advantages. They use the example of David and Goliath and David um, doing things differently and, and, and that having an advantage. And, it, and I, when I read it, I thought, mm, I, I, you know, Deborah, you got it at some points, but actually, this, it's hugely disadvantageous to be an outsider. There's to, to, to feel um, um, outside the club, to being sort of kicked out of the club, banging on the door, not getting in. It's enormously disadvantageous. And I think that um, the idea of just propagating um, uh, uh, thoughts that it is advantageous, I thought was was wrong. What I wanted to do, there are some advantages to being an outsider, but you have to develop those advantages. If you were to think, okay, just because I'm an outsider, I have advantages, you will be wrong. You will you will be very frustrated in life and, and, and things will not go your way and you'll just become very angry um, and, and depressed. What you have to realize is it's an immensely disabling um, vantage point, but it can be turned into an advantage if you work hard at it and, and you develop certain um, uh, certain methodologies that allow you to turn it into an advantage. But actually, it's not naturally advantageous. It's naturally disadvantageous. And um, and I wanted to take Gladwell on on that respect. And so the book's about that, really. It's about me saying, what is an outsider? Um, you know, what, you know they, what disadvantages do they have? What genuine disadvantages do they have? How did they get to be a disadvantage? Dis, um, uh, sorry, how did they get to be an outsider? And from there, trying to turn them around and, and converting them. And again, you know, lo and behold, entrepreneurialism, it tends to be uh, one of the key ways, uh, uh, the key ways forward as well. And there's a lot in there about decision making as well, about um, judgment and decision making and, um, and creativity. Outsiders tend to be very creative. Um, and so it really just adds up in that what can an outsider do to remain an outsider, to be themselves, um, to you know, to take no prisoners in that respect, but to be effective, uh, because there's a lot of outsiders that think the only thing they have to do is um, you know uh, wear wild clothes and be arrogant, and they'll get away with it, and that every, someone will notice them. In fact, that's uh, a shortcut to um, total and utter failure. <laughs> I watched really randomly yesterday. This is a really bizarre uh, little anecdote and a little link, but I watched. Uh, the, I'm a big comic book fan, and I watched. The secret story of DC Comics, the origin of DC Comics. Oh yes, and that was that was just full of outsiders with an entrepreneurial spirit that wanted to create something. And everything you said there, it basically defines DC Comics' revolution in the seventies. Yeah, um, and 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 that just resonates so much Brilliant. in that its creation comes from having your own, I guess, your own outlook on things. Mm. But you can't always. You can't always look at it as something that you have to force down people's throat. Yes, be an outsider, but as you said, don't become arrogant with it. And don't, no, I agree. 
you know so it's uh, that's a really interesting learn. yeah i mean you've got to learn i mean dc comics is a, 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 i've written it down it's a, it's a classic example i remember interviewing dc comics many many years ago and um they are you're absolutely right that's a, it's an absolutely classic example but they use their creativity you know they were the guys that probably sat in the classroom doodling away rather than listening to um uh, listening to the lessons again very ineffective but they worked out a way of using their creativity and profiting it's about profit uh, and about how to profit from your creativity and and, and, and you know good, hats off to them but and, and I think that's a very good example I'm, I uh, wish I'd thought of it before the book went to press <laughs> we can do an appendix in version yeah. two <laughs> I love that. that that's really really good so uh, Robert just remind everyone what the book's called and when it's out again please it's called Outside Edge and um, it's uh, be out in March um, so a, little, a few months yet but um, so uh, but they seem to be um, uh, getting on with it in terms of the cover etc so, uh, so and again it's um, it's capsuling um, same imprint and you'll recognise the covers, guys, if you're walking past WH Smiths. It's the only one with a well-designed typographical cover. It uh, The designs on the front covers are really well done. So, uh, yes, they are. Yeah. Applaud the design company on that one. So, okay, what we're actually here to talk about then, Robert, is decision-making. Now, we've all been through the process, whether it's a small decision, whether it's a life-changing decision, a business decision. We've all made fantastic ones. And to be honest, we've all made terrible ones at times. And... The thing that really interested me when we were talking about uh, the subject matter of this show was it's not something that people take hold of that often. It's very rare that the self-help books or the speak, uh, sorry, the speakers or the seminars that you go to, it's very rare that this topic comes up. So I'd like to just explore, first of all, the anatomy of a bad decision. What, what, what really makes for a, a terrible decision? Um, well, I think that there's... Um uh, a, a series of things that uh, that can go very wrong when you make a decision. Um, the um, and they're, they're normally to do with um, uh, your insecurities. Uh, I think the first one is, um, and you know, perhaps most obviously is uh, is emotions, and that you allow um, emotions to um, uh, to get in the way. And a lot of insecure people have sort of fairly hair trigger emotions. Um, they, uh, you know, they. They, even if they suppress their emotions, you, you, you know, at both ends of the spectrum, you come across um, a, a emotion as a, and a huge factor within decision making. So even if you're super cool and you're suppressing your emotions, that's actually a response to emotions as well. It's just, it's just that you've massively suppressed any feeling of emotion. So you're not allowing emotion to get into the decision. That can be just as disabling as allowing too much emotion to get into the decision. So I think that's probably Probably uh, number one for me in terms of uh, of what generates bad decisions is is emotions. I think number two would probably be distrust. I think that a lot of people um, distrust other people's motives. Decisions normally involve other people in one form or another. There's other people involved, or, or it's you know to purchase something, in which case there'd be a price, and you distrust it. You distrust the price, or you distrust the person. And so I think that um, there's a, that that is a um, a barrier to making good decisions is is the fact that you you, you uh, distrust it. And I think that that both of those bring on the third key reason, and what I would call a sort of umbrella reason for poor decisions. 
decision making, which is low self-esteem. If you if you have poor self-esteem, you will assume your decisions are poor ones, and therefore you 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 um, you, you have no faith in your in your decision making at all. So you're almost certain that the decision you make is going to be the wrong one. And if you even if when even if you, you everything's lined up and it all seems to make sense, your assumption is that you've just not spotted the the major flaw in in, in you know in, in the in the facts and figures in front of you. Um, so emotions one distrust two low self esteem and I think also um, fear is another one. Clearly fear of failure um, and also I mean the consequences of failure. Um, people feel um, uh, humiliation. What is fear of failure? Well, it's it's actually a fear of uh, it's a fear of the humiliation that uh, that, um, that failure will bring. So it's not actually getting something wrong. It's actually being humiliated by getting something wrong, and that's what generates fear of failure. And that can be um, so that can be a real barrier to, to, to making good decision making. So we end up making decisions based on our fear of failure and our fears. Uh, rather than anything else. And I think finally, in terms of what uh, impacts um, uh, poor decision-making is prejudice. I think, and I don't mean that, you know, it's a bigotry. I mean, although that can be in there, but I think it's actually prejudging situations and prejudging people. It's coming with baggage, you know, that, um, you know, you see, oh, you know, um, oh, men always think this, oh, women always think that, you know, that sort of, those sort of prejudgments about various groups of people or various groups of things that, um, that, uh, um, that, that make for poor decision making. So I'd say that those are uh, those are the top five, if you like, uh, um, uh, being overly emotional or, or underly emotional, if you like, distrust, um, low self esteem, fear of failure, and prejudice. That's really interesting. That, and I guess when you put those all together, when you roll them up, and if you were to you were to think about yourself as a business owner sat there listening to this episode. Ooh. I'm pretty sure that if you took a long, hard look at yourself and, and, and the way that you do business, you probably spot two or three of those things creeping into any decision. It's the old it's the old cliche that you should never reply to the email, you know, very, very oh, quickly. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah. I mean, we've all done that, haven't we? Shot off a quick snarky email or a yeah, yeah. good God, and it's it gets us all from time to time, doesn't it? I don't think anyone's outside of this. I'm I'm probably fair enough in saying that. And why do you think people I guess I don't want to say bury their head in the sand, but why do you think people sometimes don't step outside and, and affect any change with this? Is it is it a is it an ignorance or again is it back to that fear? Do you think? Well, I think that um, uh, I th- well, I, w- w- what you touched there is 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 the biggest uh, uh, way, um, the most effective way of, um, of of dealing with all of these things, and that's depersonalization. And therefore, if, if you know, what is the umbrella of all of this? Well, it's personalization in that decision-making is just too important. Judgments matter. You know, you are at crossroads in your life on a, you know, on a regular basis, and you have to go one way, meaning you can't go the other way. And you end up doing this thing which I call um, mental paralleling, where, um, uh, no, lo and behold, the way you didn't choose is always the best way. You know, everything seems to go right where you are Imagine what would have happened if only you'd made that decision. Everything seems to go beautifully uh, well when you made that decision. Of course, because you didn't make it, you're just mentally imagining what would have happened. Whereas, of course, all the decisions you made 
um, that you did actually make and you go on that path, of course, all the problems come on that one. So you end up regretting uh, decisions um, uh, pretty much uh, uh, instantly. And, then, uh, and, and so you have this sort of mental paralleling element. And one of the reasons for that is just that decisions are too important. They are so central to your life that they're you know, that that they are that they weigh on you um, in, in, you know in an enormous sense and if you are someone with insecurities if you do have self-esteem issues if you are slightly uncertain of yourself underconfident etc etc then those decisions are huge because you don't have faith in yourself one to make the right decision and two to execute the, the right decision once you've made it so um so you know that they are they are massive in that respect and i think that hence i think depersonalization is a is a key trick now it's not a not an easy trick but it's a key trick uh when it does come to decision making because what i always talk about is the idea of me inc of, of me limited if you like where um you become a company where you become somebody outside yourself with goals with objectives, with a strategy um, that's trying to that's pursuing those independently of you as a person. Therefore, you know, if you make a mistake in the decision, well, it's not you making the mistake; it's me Inc. making the mistake. Now, I know that's it's kind of slightly a, a crazy concept, but it just helps if you are um, if you think about yourself as a as a company um, uh, trying with your own objectives, trying with your own P and L, trying to and your own strategy, um, then you're a depersonalized entity. And the reason decision-making is so hard is because you it's personal. And so you have to depersonalize it. And I think, you know, looking at some of the decisions that we've all made, I think you can always, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. always is, isn't it? And it's, it's one of those things where when you look back, you can say, oh, mm, perhaps that was a little bit rash or actually I didn't consider this objectively. And we, we, we all do that. And do you think, do you think the effect, that mental paralleling, that second guessing and that kind of, I guess, you're not very confident decision making, is that just continually compounded? The more decisions that we make that we're not confident with, do we just continue to do that, do you think? Do oh, yes. just go on? Yes, we'll make, um, we'll certainly make one uh, bad decision after another if, unless we learn to, um, uh, we learn to make better judgments. Absolutely. I think they will just become compounded on each other. And with each one, we'll end up, um, uh, with, with, with false memory syndrome, if you like, where we end up, um, uh, having we, we just become paralyzed in the end because if one decision goes wrong we, we don't have a, a track record of, of good decisions so we can't replicate what was good about the previous decision so that all we have is a way that didn't work and so you become paralyzed in the end it's what leads to procrastination in the end because you simply cannot you, you are paralyzed you cannot make a a, um, a, um, a strong decision You're, you feel incapable of making a strong decision every decision you make is almost certain to be the wrong one in, in some unspecified way and um, so yeah you, you, you become paralysed you know I think that's right now, but the, the concept of second guessing I think is an interesting one because when you're often second guessing you're second guessing other people you're not second guessing a future you're second guessing what other people are doing and so immediately you've outsourced your, um, uh, your autonomy to other people. You've outsourced your judgment to other people as well. And I think that that is, um, I think trying to second guess what other people do. Um, I think, you know, everyone always thinks that that's, that's what clever people do. But, you know, 
we perhaps have to accept that we're not that clever and, you know, we shouldn't go around doing it because every time I've tried to second guess how people react and what decisions they make, I seem to get it wrong. So I've decided to just concentrate on my own um, uh, decision making and, and my decision making's improved enormously since. I think that's definitely a confidence thing, isn't it? It's, it's one of those things that, you know, when you find the confidence to strike out and actually say, well, look, this is for me, by me, and I'm actually making this decision and it's it's right for me based on X, Y, and Z. That, that, that just must, the other way, it must just compound the positive decisions and the right decisions that you make. So, of course, you become better at that. And that leads me on uh, to the next question that I wanted to pose to you, actually, Robert, which is, is this a nature or is this a nurture thing? Is this something that we can overcome or is it ingrained within us? Well, it's a really interesting question because um, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. And also the, um, the question can mix, can mix it up a bit because you could say, is it nature? Um, and you could answer no. And then you could say, is it ingrained? And you could answer yes. So and what I mean by that is sort of conditioning. If you, you know, in the end, um, whether it's, nature or not isn't necessarily a helpful question. What's a better question is, is it ingrained or not? And absolutely the answer is yes. I think that um, you're conditioned from um, a very early age, and certainly in terms of self-esteem and certainly in terms of security. If you look at any of um, the, the um, psychologists, whether it's you know Maslow or Freud or Albert Ellis or all the famous psychologists that have looked at this, they've all said the same thing, that from very early on, you are... A, conditioned in a, in a particular way of thinking a lot of that conditioning comes down to things like fear and safety and security that that then leads to things like self-esteem and uh, and and one, once you've set that up once you have that uh, and that way of looking at the world you run everything down there every bit of information you get externally gets run through that um, prism if you like and 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 gets spat out the other end in terms and becomes uh, all the things that I said that result in poor decision making, whether it is emotions, whether it is distrust, whether it is low self-esteem, whether it is fear and whether it is prejudice, you know, all those elements get get created at that conditioning moment. Now, can you get over that? Absolutely, you can get over that. Of course, can you rid yourself of it? I don't know if you can. And that was one of the other issues. That I, the, the reason I started writing self-help books was because these I felt a lot of self-help books were, were peddling a myth. They were peddling a cure when a cure did not exist. What I was saying was actually, you know, if you have things like fear of failure and low self-esteem and, and, and other sorts of insecurities, you're probably going to have them the rest of your life. What you need to do, once you have an awareness of that, though, and once you have an understanding of that, then you might be able to accept that and then focus on circumnavigating it on, on, on taking those the sort of monkey on your shoulder taking them with you taking him with you anyway he's coming you know so you may, but so and stopping that monkey on your shoulder wrecking your decision making so that you're aware that your decisions may have uh, um, self-esteem elements in them may have it distrust elements in them you know and um, so uh, and I think that that becomes a um, you know a very important aspect in terms of awareness of being aware that your decision making is being polluted by your conditioning by your ingrained uh, insecurities etc so um you know so that so 
you know, so the monkey comes too. You know, he's, you know, you've got to make a decision knowing that that monkey is is, is on your shoulders coming with you. Um, but it's not necessarily feeding you correct information. It's feeding you incorrect information. Now, people often talk about their gut instinct. You know, say, oh, go with your gut instinct. Now, the gut instinct for someone with insecurities is totally and utterly polluted. Their gut instinct is full of fear and distrust and is full of emotions. So their gut instinct is probably the last thing they should go with. Their gut instinct has to be completely and utterly eradicated from the whole process if they're going to come to a good decision. But they can't do that. So therefore, they have to recognize the bits where, the, where their emotions are in play and, and, and not, this, not box them, them, but be aware of them and say that that's just one bit. Don't let it dominate. So um, you know, so there's, there's, so it's an interesting question that, about nature and nurture. I, I I don't think it's helpful to assume it's it's nature. And I think you're then going back almost to the ADHDs and the Aspergers and the simple schizophrenia and all of that. I think you're then going back to the conditions that become a bit of a sort of comfort blanket for people. It's much easier, not sorry, not certainly not easier, it's, it's much more effective to say it's 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 not nurture but conditioning. Uh, and then that, that conditioning is ingrained, absolutely. But we can overcome it. It doesn't mean that you're condemned. Um, you know, you're, 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 it's ingrained, but you're not condemned to be wrecked as a decision maker by it. You know, you can get around the fact that your ingrained um, uh, psychology has been has been polluted. You can deal with that. It's, that's a really interesting. Uh, distinction the nature versus it actually being conditioning and I think that that's whilst when you say it out loud it feels subtle it's not it's actually massive mm. and I think that's really interesting from an entrepreneur entrepreneurial perspective because theoretically entrepreneurs are good at that you know in every other aspect of the life they want to develop and they want to push themselves and open mm. new doors and you know it, it's all about extending that comfort zone yeah but then in certain scenarios, whether it's a nervous decision, whether it's a difficult decision, something that actually we'd just much rather not deal with, we suddenly become at, at times a gibbering mess. You know, it's, it's really tough. And for some people, it's accounting. For some people, it's staffing issues. For some people, it's sales or networking. Mm. And I love the idea of I love the idea of the monkey on the shoulder, you know, let's just be aware that it's there. Mm. And that actually just becomes another factor that we have to consider when we are making decisions, doesn't yeah. it? It's not, it's not necessarily a burden. It's just a factor and we have to consider that. Yeah. I agree. And I think it's also why depersonalization is so important as well. Um, you know, it, it, you know, it's, it's quite a complex concept to get around. Um, uh, but, um, uh, and I can't necessarily do it, um, on, on a quick interview, but it, it's, it's, it's an important aspect of depersonalization because it removes the monkey from your decision making. It stops the monkey overwhelming your decision making and being dominant and having a veto. That's uh, that's really interesting, actually. That 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 could be quite a good topic, actually. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that when when the new book is out and, and has found its legs and it's off and running, I'm sure I'm sure there'll be a call to get you back on. Great. So perhaps we'll talk about that, actually. Thank you. So the. Podcast is famous, well I say famous, semi-famous now, for its actionable takeaways, Robert. So the, the real big crux of, of any episode of Excellence Expected is that, look, we do give inspiration, we do talk about things that are pertinent to business owners and to entrepreneurs, but actually we give people actionable advice that they can take away and then they can actually 
put into practice today. So I know you've kindly been working on three simple steps to making better decisions. So I wonder if I might pick your brains on those sir, for a moment. Okay. Um, I think there are three steps to making good decisions, but they kind of not they might not be what you're expecting that I'm, I'm taking you um, a, a, a much more sort of helicopter view. I'm taking you away from the decision massively. You know, if you think the decision's there, it is on your, on your uh, piece of paper in front of you. Well, I'm going to grab you and shoot you into the sky. And um, because I think that, 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 that you, you will not be able to deal with the dilemma on the piece of paper in front of you unless you do that. And, and, and what... What I think is the key starting point for anyone trying to make decisions, better decisions, is to have a vision of where they see themselves in the future. And I don't just mean in two years or three years, I mean in 10 years. Where do they see themselves in 10 years? Where do they want to be? And I think that that vision is, is, is absolutely crucial. So point number one is, is develop a very highly detailed view of where you should be in 10 years time and where you want to be in 10 years time it's a very long time frame 10 years you can completely turn your life around in 10 years so that's why it's deliberately that long so point one is work out where you want to be in 10 years and that gives you your point of direction if you like point two is Fill in the gaps between that point of direction and now. Work your way backwards. So where do you need to be in five years in order to meet that 10-year objective? You've got 10 years to get there. You don't have to get there tomorrow. You've got 10 years to get there. So you need a path. Where do you need to be in five years in order to um, meet that 10-year goal? And that's all you need to do. The only thing you have done by year five is everything that has to be done to get uh, by year five in order to get you to your 10 year goal do the same for two years what has to be in place in year two to meet that five-year objective year one what has to be in place by the end of year one to meet that two-year objective six months what has to be in place in six months to meet that one-year objective three months one month you know one week tomorrow what can you do now to think about tomorrow once you've got that write it all down and write it all down. So point one, think about the 10-year, visualize, think about the 10-year goal. Point two, write it all down from five-year, three-year, two-year, um, one-year, uh, six months, three months, etc. and write it all down. So you've got to, what you then have is a very, very detailed path to your future. Point three is every decision you make has is one of two things. It's either on that path or it's not on that path. And if it's not on that path, don't make the decision. And if it's on that path, make the decision. So every choice you make is a choice between what's on that path and what isn't on that path. And if two things are on the path, if they're both on the path, fine. You might be able to find that you don't need to make a decision. You make a decision once you actually have to You choose both. Make the decision when you absolutely have to make a decision. You know, so it's stay on the path. Whatever it is, stay on the path. And that will help your decision making. The reason it will help your decision making is because it will give you judgment. What's known as judgment. And if there's one thing I can 
guarantee that I did not have before I started all this sort of self-development process, it was good judgment. And if there's one thing I think I've got now, it's good judgment. And that the difference is knowing where I'm going and having those goals and that and being on that path. So those are my three steps. That's a massively, massively powerful roadmap to getting wherever you want to be. I think that's that's huge. And certainly um, you know, when you think about the decisions you make, well, if I think about, again, I've mapped a lot back to myself, so why the hell not carry on? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I've, you know, when I started the podcast, why do I want to do this? Well, actually, in 10 years, I want to be doing something else. And the podcast is actually just a bloody fun way of trying to get there. Yeah, and it's, absolutely. It's, and it almost becomes a no-brainer. But the thing that I found, um, and again, even approaching someone like yourself, you know, wildly inspired buy your book, sat on the train thinking, do you know what, this would make a really, really great podcast episode. Decision which would have been easier yeah. not to contact you because the fear of rejection, the fear of failure, the humiliation, yeah. or the confidence to drop your line and say, look, let's do something. Yeah. I mean, it suddenly so, becomes such an obvious decision because yeah. it's on the pla- it's on the path. It's on the path. Yeah, absolutely. It also gives you the courage to do it because you're thinking, well, this is on the path. I've got to take the steps, the next step. So you've cured, you've cured your pre procrastination because this is on the next step. There's only two things can happen now. Once you're on that, once you've got that path, you either act or you don't act, you know, and if you act, you've overcome your procrastination. And if you don't act, well, that is the most massive act of self-sabotage you will ever do. You know, you have basically given yourself the path and then you've ignored it. Well, what, it may be the wrong path. It may be somebody else's path without you realizing it, given to you by whoever, your parents, your, um, your friends, your, um, you know, your, you know, Simon Cowell, whoever. It may be, it may, it may be the wrong path, but, um, uh, you know, and, and you might want to think about that. But if you have the right path and you don't act, that's just a huge act of self-sabotage. And I think the, I think the, the whole, you know, lack of self-confidence is, especially if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, the minute you lack confidence, that becomes yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because the, the, the more you do that, the more it becomes yeah. prevalent. And it's, I, I think that's really, really interesting because we all need that. Yeah, but don't forget also, the only thing you've got to do, you haven't got the 10-year goal has converted into something that has to happen tomorrow. So the only thing you have to think about is tomorrow what you're going to do next. You don't have to think about what's happening in 10 years' time. Let's forget that. As long as you've got a good path, you can ignore that and just totally focus on that next step, what has to happen next. What I find really good about all of this that we're talking about, especially those three tips and the way that they can be applied, is that, do you know what? This is not just business, is it? It's actually anything, anything at all. No, absolutely. I agree. I agree. You know, it could be if you looked at that and said, "Okay, I want to, um, you know, I want to live in a, um, you know, a farm uh, with my four children and my three horses, and uh, you know, and all of that." You know, if you want to do that, well, fine. By year five, you've got to do that by year ten. But by year five, you got four children. Well, one probably should have been born by then, and another one on the way. You know, you might want to have, you know, some aptitude about how farming works, and you know, so you can immediately see, you know, what has to happen by year five. And then that was that happened by year two. Well, me year two, you may want to have found your partner you're going to have the children with. You know, do you see what I mean? So, you know, you've now got a two year frame to find your partner, you know, and panic goes, you know what you're doing, you know. So, um, you know, so in, all, in anything, it works, in anything. 
That's really, really powerful. Robert, thank you so much. This interview has been such a, such a pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you. I'm sorry. Just tell the listeners where they can actually find you online, sir. Um, well, uh, my website is um, robert-kelsey.co.uk. Um, but obviously Amazon, the books are all on Amazon. Uh, Get Things Done is the, is the most current one. The, 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 the best-selling one is um, the first one, What's Stopping You? It's now in 10 languages. You can still get that in WH Smith's mainly. You can get it in, you know, in foils and places. But if you, if you want to see it in numbers, you, you um, go to WH Smith's, certainly in the, the, on the travel ones as well. Um, yeah, so Amazon or yeah, robert-kelsey.co.uk. Perfect. Robert, thank you once again. It's been a real pleasure. And thanks to everyone out there listening. If you would like a link to all of Robert's books on Amazon and, of course, a link to Robert's website and, of course, all of the show notes, head on over to excellence-expected.com or, of course, nip on over to iTunes or Stitcher where you can also subscribe to the other episodes that we've put out. And whilst you're over on the website, don't forget that you can sign up to access exclusive VIP-only content landing straight in your inbox every single week. And until next time, don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel.